Hello, my Freedom Packed family. Today we have a very special guest on the show. This person is a psychotherapist, a mental strength trainer, an international best selling author with her books 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do, 13 Things That Mentally Strong Parents Don't Do, and 13 Things Mentally Strong Women Don't Do. The success of these books can be seen in the fact that they've been translated into 30 different languages worldwide. This person is also a columnist for Psychology Today and Forbes with their articles reaching a audience expanding of 2 million readers per month. And on top of all this, she has one of the most revered and popular TEDx talks of all time. If you're a fan of TED Talks, I guarantee you that you would have seen this talk and you will remember it due to its highly emotional and valuable content. It was a viral sensation. In this episode, you are going to learn exactly what it takes and exactly what you can do to gain mental strength. Something I believe that every person on the planet, no matter what their success, no matter what their circumstance, can greatly benefit from. Now before we get in to this episode, I want to let you guys in on a little secret. It's a secret that me and Joe have been keeping for a long, long time. And it's time I let you in on it. Here's the secret. The secret is the best productivity planner on planet Earth. I can attribute so much of Joe and I's professional success to this point to this productivity planner. I can attribute the podcast's growth, the podcast's success, the level of guests we're getting, it's all been through the process of this productivity planner. And we're finally giving away the secret, guys. You can get yourself one. We're going to put the link in the description below so you can go and grab yourself one and start joining in on the fun and success. Trust me when I say this is going to transform your life and going to help you smash so many of your goals You won't believe how good this is. Now, without any further ado, let's jump into this episode. Amy Morin, welcome to the Freedom Pact. Thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. So, when I was doing research for this podcast, I noticed that you call yourself an accidental author. So, could you talk about what this means? Sure. So early in my career, I was a therapist and I thought uh, my goal in life was just going to be to teach people uh, how to change their habits, how to problem solve, how to uh, get through pain, that sort of thing in my therapy office. And uh, one of my side hustles was I started writing a few articles on the side. It was a way to earn extra money. And I wrote one article in particular called 13 Things Mentally Strong People Don't Do. And it went viral, like really viral. 50 million people read the article. And before I knew it, a literary agent called and said, you should write a book. I'd never really thought about writing a book. And it wasn't anything I intended to do. But what most people didn't know was as the article went viral, it was making its way around the internet, was they thought I wrote this list because I was a therapist and that I knew all the things that mentally strong people shouldn't do. I'd mastered it. 
nobody knew was that was actually a letter to myself. It was really the only article I'd ever published that was deeply personal, but I didn't explain the backstory. I had gone through a series of losses in my personal life. My mother passed away. My husband passed away when we were just 26. And then my father-in-law was diagnosed with terminal cancer. And I sat down and I wrote that list just as a letter to myself to say, don't do these certain things that could rob you of mental strength. But I never imagined it would go viral. I never imagined that I'd then become an author and that I have a chance to write a book and, and reach people on a completely new level. So that's why I call myself an accidental author because I never never set out to write a book. That wasn't my plan in the beginning. <laughs> you know, it's, it's crazy how these, these things unfold. And this was the nature of your just unbelievable. It really is, you know, it, so it certainly yeah. changed the course of my personal and my professional life for sure. Yeah. And and that you know, the 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 things which you've just discussed but I mean they're the nature of your TED talk which is just unbelievable. I mean how many views does it have now? It's been viewed almost ten million times at this point. Oh my God. You know, I mean when when I watched that TED talk one of the things which you know I just thought I just thought it's just the vulnerability required to go on stage and you know discuss the things which you went through how did you get the courage to give that talk uh oh good question so by then I had I had written the book and so I had started sharing my story a little bit anyway but it was just definitely different to get on a stage and talk about it as opposed to being able to write about it. Because when I wrote about it, I had time, I could breathe, I could walk away from the paper when I felt overwhelmed, and I didn't have to worry about looking at people when I shared my story. And so there was tons of fear. There was fear of, you know, what if people feel sorry for me? What if people think I'm you know, just sharing my story for all the wrong reasons? What if, what if somebody cries? What if I upset somebody? Uh, but it was a matter of just reminding myself that uh, that I could be a, uh, I guess, a role model of mental strength and say, this is really scary, this is really hard to do, and I'm going to do it anyway. And I was reminded it wasn't necessarily about me. Uh, for a long time, I had I was terrified of public speaking because I used to think, what if people are staring at me? What if I people can tell I'm nervous? What if I mess up? And it was actually, I spoke at my mother's funeral. And for the first time when I spoke uh, publicly at her funeral, I, I didn't care about those things anymore. I just wanted to talk about my mom and I wanted to share her story. And I wanted people to, to really understand uh, my mother. And it was no longer about me. And that really helped me and later in public speaking to remember that me being on this stage it's not about me it's about giving a message to the audience so I tried to keep that in mind that it wasn't about whether I was nervous and my voice cracked which it did because I was I was terrified but at the same time it was more about getting a message out to the audience that I thought might resonate with people I certainly didn't imagine that 10 million people would watch it if I'd known that when I gave the speech I would have been even more nervous but I'm so happy that so many people have found it helpful yeah so was that what what sort of inspired you to have that courage was the thought of of others not necessarily from your own point of view but your experiences could help other people so it was it was sort of you know your responsibility type thing is that how you felt yeah exactly because i thought you know even though uh a lot you know nobody's really experienced my exact life experiences we all go through pain we all experience grief and lost on some type of a level and as a society we often don't talk about it we don't talk about how do you deal with death how do you deal with loss how do you deal with pain 
And so I thought, you know, if I get this, if I'm fortunate enough to be, have been given this platform and this opportunity, and I happen to be a therapist and I happen to have gone through this myself, then of course I should be talking about it. And I should tell, talk to people about what does it mean to actually be strong? Because I think there's so many misconceptions about mental strength and people think that if you're strong, you'll never be scared or that you, you'll never quit. You'll never give up. You won't be sad. I just really wanted to talk about the fact that it's different, that mental strength isn't the same as acting tough, and that to be strong means being scared and trying to do things anyway, but that you don't have to be perfect. And I just felt like it was really important to, to try to get that message out there. And one of the things I've uh, read online that you talk about is regulating emotions. Was that something you had to dip into on that stage when, when you were leaving yourself that vulnerable? Yeah, when you know, I felt so so vulnerable being up there and thinking, how do I, how do I deal with you know all of the the fear that I have, the anxiety, the uh, questions, the self doubt. You know, I experienced it was like one of those opportunities. Not only am I just talking about mental strength, but it was uh, definitely an opportunity to say I need to practice all my skills right here in the in the moment too. Yeah, and before we you know dive into the uh, the details of mental strength, how would you first? define mental strength so there's really three parts to it uh, one part is about the way that you think and knowing that when you have self-doubt you don't have to believe it or knowing that when you are experiencing an overly negative thoughts you can reframe those thoughts into something more realistic and it's not just about positive thinking because being overconfident can be just as harmful as being filled with self-doubt but it's about just knowing how do you reframe your thoughts into something more more realistic and productive and the second part is about your emotions. Uh, sometimes we think, well, I can't, I can't help it that uh, I get so angry, I blow up at people, or when I wake up on the in a bad mood, I can't control over your emotions. And you don't need to be happy all the time, but that you can take steps to control how you feel. And maybe it's cheering yourself up or calming yourself down, or sometimes it's just sitting with an uncomfortable emotion, but just knowing that your emotions don't control you. And then the third part is about how you behave and saying, okay, how do I choose to take some sort of productive action so that I can make my life or somebody else's life at least a little bit better, no matter what kind of circumstances you're facing. When you combine all three of those things, then you have mental strength. How do you think differently? How do you feel differently? And how do you act differently? Yeah. And one thing which I love that um, that you have, have come out and you've talked about is that, and you just mentioned it briefly, that say someone that is mentally strong and another that would be defined as not that they I think there's an idea that they feel different emotions but someone that is mentally strong and someone that isn't they both feel the same thing it's just that the mentally per the strong person typically would choose to to do what is necessary rather than what's comfortable or easy is that the same thing in your experience yeah, it's all about knowing, okay, mental strength uh, it doesn't necessarily make life simple and easy, and it's not that people are just born that way. It's a continuum. We all possess strength to a degree, but we all have room for improvement. When you're going through tough times, you know, our natural tendency sometimes is to avoid discomfort. We just want to retreat. We want to reach for the quickest and easiest remedy to make us feel better, but those things all all make life worse in the end in the long term, so being mentally strong you really have to look at the long term and say okay even though it'd be really easy to just sit down and binge on some ice cream right now or to just uh, spend the whole weekend watching tv so i don't have to deal with problems that those things won't make your life better and so 
part of building mental strength is saying, I'm going to do hard things. And then the more hard things you do, the stronger you become. And then you're able to tackle more problems and get closer to reaching your greatest potential. Yeah, for sure. You know, and, and I think to myself that like sometimes when I've spoken to people about, you know, about mental strength in particular is, is I think that people sort of have this idea that it's almost binary, you know, as if, as if you're right, you either have it or you don't, you know, and, and I, I, what, what I love is about what you've just said, but there is like, that's not the case. It's, it's about how you choose to act and sort of the more, uh, like marbles you put in the jar almost, then like the more, uh, you know, the more like it like builds that sort of muscle type thing. Do you agree with it? Yes, and that's I hear that so often from people. They'll say, "Well, I'm just not a mentally strong person, so I can't do that." Hmm. Well, the truth is, again, we all have the opportunity to build mental strength. It's a lot like physical strength. If you never lifted any weights, you probably wouldn't be very physically strong. But you have the option to go to the gym and lift more weights if you want to become stronger. And so many people tend to think that they get mental strength and mental health confused and they're not the same thing either people will say well if only i were stronger then i wouldn't struggle with anxiety or if i had mental strength i wouldn't be depressed but those things aren't true either and so i think if we just talked about mental strength more like we talk about physical strength people would understand better so for example if you wanted to be physically strong you'd go to the gym and you'd lift weights and that would probably help you be healthy but it doesn't guarantee you won't ever get diabetes or that you won't ever get cancer. You might still get it anyway. Same can be said for mental strength. You can be doing all of these things. It can really help improve your mental health, but it doesn't guarantee you won't ever get depressed or that you won't ever develop anxiety. Those things aren't necessarily a sign of weakness. And But that we always have room for improvement. Mental strength is all about the choices that you make every single day. And we can get up and we can say, I'm going to do hard things. I'm going to step outside my comfort zone. I'll face some of my fears and build mental muscle. Or you can say, I'm just going to play it safe today and not go out and do anything. And in those cases, you don't make any progress. So it really is all about the choices that you choose to make every day when you wake up. Common emotion during loss or bereavement is, is hopelessness. The idea that life loses its magic, so to speak, and we get struck down with this what's the point type of mentality in your experience both personally and professionally what have you come to realize as the the true antidote to hopelessness in general i think gratitude can be the antidote to a lot of life's problems but especially hopelessness because we you know when you get caught up in that thinking that you know my life is terrible it's horrible and awful and nothing will make it better we start to think about all the things that we don't have, all the things that we wish were different, all the things that we think, you know, we did wrong, all the things that could have gone differently in life to, to have led us to a different path. And then we feel helpless and then we get hopeless about the future. But when you practice gratitude, it switches your brain. It makes you, it forces you to start thinking about all the things that you have, even if it's just simple things like you're grateful that it rained yesterday because it, it watered plants and that, that will help you have food to eat or that it was sunny and that helps the plants grow or that you have clean running water simple things in life that we so easy easily take for granted but when you practice gratitude science shows it makes you 20 percent happier helps you sleep better helps you live longer it improves your relationships and it might be as simple as writing in a gratitude journal before you go to bed or it might be about let's go around the dinner table and say what we're thankful for and it sounds kind of cheesy and it sounds almost too simple to be true but 
studies will show grateful people tend to have better enjoy better psychological well-being and they're healthier than everybody else i think it's one of those really simple things that's tough to do when you're in that state but once you make it a habit it can actually change the course of your life and physically rewire your brain are there any regular exercises you do to practice gratitude like guests we've had before have talked about consistently trying to name three things every day they're grateful for or maybe journaling as you said are there any specific ways that have worked best for you yeah so i'm i still write a lot of articles and and i'm sitting behind my computer a lot so for me since i'm sitting there anyway just have a word document about gratitude and every day i try to come up with at least three things sometimes i have a lot more sometimes it's just a couple of quick things but to just add to my list and seeing this list to grow in this word document and being able to read it over when I'm having a rough day or just when I need a little reminder of everything that I have in my life really helps yeah that's 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 amazing and and we've spoken to so many guests and they all seem to talk you know about this this idea of gratitude and we've we've talked about it before and we can't think of a more a really a more powerful practice which which can be developed are there any mistakes that you found that people make in terms of trying to practice gratitude? I think one thing is uh, for parents sometimes, they try to force it on their kids mm. and they force them to say, write a thank you note for, for the gifts that they got. And then, um, you know, kids aren't actually then internalizing gratitude. They're just becoming almost like you say thank you because you get a gift, not because you're actually thankful, but you say thank you because you want another gift next year or something like that, or you're trying to please other people. And there's nothing wrong with having your kids write thank you notes. That can be a wonderful exercise. But I think just to make sure that parents aren't forcing kids to to say everything that they're thankful for or to send the wrong message, like you should be grateful you have that to eat for dinner because some kids across the country would be thrilled to have food at all. And we, you know, almost try to like get angry when our kids are ungrateful but at the same time, we just need to be a better role model and to express what you're thankful for. I'm thankful that there was a parking space in front of the grocery store today. I'm thankful that I you know, have clean clothes to wear today because it's a really busy week. Whatever it is, just start talking about it, expressing it, and showing kindness and being grateful for other people in your life. And your kids will naturally start to learn it and to worry a little bit less about forcing them to always act as though they're grateful. That's, that's so powerful. I absolutely love you know like like love their idea and 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 i think this sort of goes back to one of uh one of the uh things which you talk about in the book where it's sort of like mentally strong people they don't worry about things that are not in their control or they worry a little bit less you know which is which i think that's almost like caviesque in in the way where he talks about that idea of like the circle of control and the circle of concern and and I thought that was such a beautiful point and one which I think definitely you know emphasized I, I'm pretty sure it was point four um do you think that that's that's like a real problem in the modern world about people worrying about things which you know that they they just have no real control over or little control yeah I absolutely do I think when you really boil down to okay what do I actually have control over the truth is it's not that much mm. and for a lot of people it's really scary and and it seems sometimes it seems like it's almost easier to then micromanage other people or we become angry and resentful when people don't act the way that we want them to 
and and you can see see it play out where people become sort of bitter they become control freaks and a lot of it just boils down to them having too much anxiety about the things they don't have control over and you know in the business world something that that we often do we think okay i'm gonna build this billion dollar business well you don't have control over whether people buy your product or that people want your service you can make the best product you can and if you just focus on well what's what can i do and as a therapist i'd see it in people's goals all the time their goal would be i'm going to be the the boss someday well the truth is if somebody else is in control of who gets hired, you're not in control of that. So a better goal is to say, I'm going to improve my performance by doing X, Y, and Z, because you have control over how you perform. You have control over how you behave, but you don't have control over other people and whether they, whether they choose to hire you or whether they choose to, uh, to pick you for the team. So, uh, and you know, we see in social media too, that people really, a lot of their self-worth depends on how many likes they get on Instagram, or they really wrap their whole world up into thinking that, their worth depends on how many followers they have. Again, you don't have control over that. You have control over the content you create and the message you put out there, but you're not in control of how people respond to it. And so I think if, if more of us, and it's something I think that it's an ongoing issue for all of us to just take a look at, well, what do I actually have control over? What do I want to focus on today that, that I can control? And how do I just keep my eyes on that without worrying about all of these other things? And when you do that, you can be much more productive because you can let go of the things that you have no control over. Yeah, I, I that I mean, I absolutely love that so much. So when, when from what you've just said, but there, when it comes to say goal setting, like you've just talked about, but there, rather than you know not being the boss type thing, not setting that as a goal, but instead a much healthier goal is, you know, as in to raise my performance to that type of level. Could could you give more examples of of that type of like maybe maybe you've noticed examples that people have set which which have that element of of uncontrollability about them are there any more examples that you can think of definitely i think anything that we're, we're looking for some sort of like external validation so if it's an athlete who says you know i really want to make this particular team or somebody in the olympics who says i'm going to win the gold medal you don't really have control over that a much better goal is to say, I'm going to beat my personal best record. I'm going to become better today than I was yesterday, but that I'm not competing against everybody else. If you look at it as though your only goal in life is to beat everybody else, well, you don't have control over how other people perform. You don't have control over how they behave. So it's a much healthier goal to just say, I'm going to focus on, on what I can do. And, you know, I see this in, in couples for example that couples would come in and, and their goal you know the individual's goal was I'm going to save my marriage but if that's not the other person's goal if the other person says you know I'm out of here well then your goal isn't going to be it's not 100% in your control what's your what's a better goal is to say I'm going to be the best partner I can be to this person and then whatever happens in the end isn't 100% my fault I'll take some responsibility but sometimes we just take on way too much responsibility we think we're in control of everything that goes on around us or I see it with parents who have kids with behavior problems and their goal is to 100% control their kids at all times because they don't want their kids to misbehave again you can't force your kids to do anything so a better goal is to say I'm going to have consistent rules and I'm going to set clear consequences and I'm going to help my child learn and this is how I'm going to do it but it doesn't mean my child won't ever misbehave again and so I think for a lot of people, if they just reframe their goals to say, what can I control and how do I set a goal for myself that's realistic and achievable for me and isn't dependent on 
external validation or doesn't depend on other people changing their behavior, then it'd be much more effective. Yeah, so so in terms of the goal set, and so making sure that the goal is a comparison of of uh, metrics which are in your control and also which are not dependent on external validation. Yes, both of those things are really important. So carrying on with some of the points in your book, uh, one of the ones that stuck out to me, I think it was point 10, um, don't give up after the first failure. And it reminded me a lot of a conversation we had uh, with a guest on this show before, uh, Beth Comstock, the director of Nike. And she talked about how she often encourages failure, um, you know, and tries to fail more. And a lot of our listeners were a bit baffled by that. So I wanted to ask you, in your professional career, uh, have there been any failures that you've actually learned a lot from and, and are grateful for? Oh, yes, definitely. So as, a, as an author, I get to write a lot of articles and, and put them out there in the world and see sort of what resonates with people and what doesn't. So I consider most of the articles I write as an experiment to figure out, does it resonate with people? Do I get lots of questions and maybe I miss the mark? People don't understand what I was the message I was trying to convey I was just really helpful with people so I have tons of articles I think that I thought were going to really resonate and they didn't or that I apparently didn't explain myself well enough or I missed the point because I got so many questions from readers that made me think oh I didn't explain that well enough but another one is I early on in my career uh shortly after my book came out I had the opportunity to create an online course and I partnered with another company who promised me the world and I sort of bought into it hook, line, and sinker. It was a terrible choice. It ended up costing me a lot more money, took way more time, and just reminded me of, you know, how cautious and careful I need to be and rather than just jumping into opportunities that sound good, but to really pay more attention and to really do more homework on finding out, you know, what what do these people offer? How do I get into this business relationship? Uh, and so in moving forward, I've just learned so much about, about that, about if I want to start a new project, because as an author, there's always projects or speaking opportunities, there's like opportunities to make courses, to create events, there's a million and one things I could do. And so despite the fact that I'm really excited sometimes or that other people seem to be really competent, I still really need to do my homework. And I'm glad I learned that lesson early on. It's taught me a lot over the years when I've jumped into other opportunities to know how do I make sure that I'm making a good decision before I leap into this, even though it sounds like a good a good opportunity. I'm just wondering, so in terms of, say, the, um, in terms of, like, the mentally strong side, I'm just wondering, do you have a practice? So, say, if you were, like, feeling a type of way, because obviously you feel the same emotions that everyone else does, scared, you know, hurt, angry, you could feel any of the, or any of these things. And I was just wondering because I was just when we were originally like looking through you, you're obviously an extreme public figure. Your TED talk must have thousands and thousands of comments, you know, like these different things. I mean, you must, you must have. They're bound to have been people which which would have criticized or, you know, any of these things. I mean, when when you make yourself so vulnerable, you're obviously open to to people commenting and things. So so when you go through these things. I mean, what's your practice in terms of of um, of dealing with with that sort of spectrum? Like, do you does does Amy Morin get like a like a vulnerability hangover? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I certainly have days where I think you know 
you know, it became an accidental author. And I think, how did this get to be my life that five years ago I wrote this article, now here I am three books later and I get to speak at conferences and I get to do all these amazing things and I question, am I worthy of this? Am I, you know, just... Am I doing the right things? And everything's happened and unfolded so fast. And then I do get negative comments, of course. And I get lots of kind ones. I get tons of emails from people who thank me, but then I get lots of comments from people who don't necessarily appreciate what I have to say. And a lot of those are on social media. In fact, just the other day, somebody said, you're not just wrong, you're also stupid. <laughs> <laughs> and, and, you know, in the beginning, certainly the criticism that I got from people, it, it really hurt. It bothered me. It made me question everything and wondering why I was putting myself through this and thinking, you know, am I worthy of this? And there's so many other people out there who who are sharing their messages and they have stronger messages or they have a Harvard degree or they've done all of these things. But over the years, it's definitely gotten easier uh, to to deal with that sort of feedback. It's made me realize, okay, there's always you know, going to be a certain percentage of the population who doesn't like what you do. And just to remind myself that, uh, unfortunately, there are plenty of angry people out there who are going to yell and scream anyway. But to really keep in mind whose opinion and what feedback do I want to take from people and how do I want to evaluate that from people that I admire from mentors when they have feedback I absolutely listen but from random strangers I'm now much better able to tune that out but it took a while to get to that point and I think for anyone who's sharing content online these days you're going to get criticism but to just remind yourself to take it where it comes from and to remember that yeah sometimes those comments really sting and they might replay in your head for a while but to know that you don't have to let it drag you down. And that kind of goes to another point in the book about not giving away your power to not letting other people limit your potential just because they say mean things or because they tell you you can't succeed. You don't have to listen to it. Yeah. You know, I, 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 you know, even, even with this podcast, I, I mean, we, we get negative comments and stuff and, and I can just imagine being on the scale that you're on for someone to say things like, you're not just wrong, you're stupid, which, which first of all, I mean, like that's not just about you know your work. It's saying that you as a person are stupid. <laughs> you know, I mean, I mean, you just you just can't imagine you know what what goes through people's minds. You know when when they say this, and I love that that you you you're making a conversation and saying like like you know if you're if you're in this battlefield, you know, in the public eye producing content, these people that they, they're gonna you know like rise up and they're gonna criticize and and. You know, and I love that you're like talking about it and like how to deal with it. Because I think a lot of times we don't. I know so many other people who are writers and podcasters and people who are producing content and they and they don't dare talk about the the experience, the embarrassment, the hurt, and they just kinda of want to ignore it. Or some I have some friends who have in the past engaged in arguments with strangers over Twitter. And then I realize, you know, this isn't doing anybody any good. I'm wasting time, I'm giving this person more energy. And so I think it's important to just acknowledge that, okay, let's say there's 10% of the population who's unhappy with everything. They're going to complain. They're going to say mean things. And how do you how do you deal with that? And it's not to say it's never going to hurt or it's never going to sting. It does. But to know that you don't have to give that a lot of power in your life, I think it's important to talk more about that. Yeah. Do you have like a, like a, a system type thing? Because you you must get an absolute barrage of 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 comments and things and do you have like a system to decide like okay like this person's opinion matters to me 
I know that like Brene Brown, she talks about you know um, that she has like a list type thing that she carries with her of people's opinions that that she cares about. I'm just wondering if you have like a system to decide, like okay, like this is this person has like earned my trust and respect, so I'm gonna like ex- like I'm gonna like listen to this type thing. Is there a process which we could use? Well, I definitely have a, a circle of trust. <laughs> you know, the, a handful of people whose opinion I think matters, and it's people that have my best interest at heart. And then I also have people who I know are uh, professionals, who I know who are experts in the industry. I have a speaking coach. So when I show him a clip of one of my speeches and he gives me feedback, I really value that. And, you know, if if I want to make sure that I'm getting the feedback that's actually useful and it's going to help me change, I just need to sometimes seek those people out and say, what do you think of this? Or what, what idea do you have? Or how could I be doing something better? And just knowing how do you have that handful of people? How do you know that you're reaching out to somebody who has expertise? And, and knowing you know, why, ask yourself, why is this credible? I always ask myself that question. Why would I value this person's opinion? If it's a stranger and I have no idea who they are and it's an anonymous person over the internet, I can put that in the other category of don't worry about it. But if it's somebody else who reaches out to me who is a well-respected author or somebody who is a really big in the speaking world, and I think, well, what's their agenda? Are they offering me this advice because they, they truly have my best interest at heart? Or are they just cutting me down for, for no real reason or perhaps for another uh, agenda that's all their own? Just asking those sorts of questions helped me to, to put things in better perspective. Probably the point I resonated most with, um, I think it was point 11 if my memory serves me, but it was uh, don't fear alone time. And I think... <clears throat> That's really important, especially in a time now where time to yourself is, you know, it's quite scarce in, in the way that even if you're alone in the physical uh, with, you know, technology and, and social media, most people, when they're alone, they're never truly alone anymore. And I wanted to ask you, <clears throat> one, what are the benefits of alone time? And two, what is a good way to actually spend that alone time? Yeah, when I talk about this one, a lot of times people will say, well, I'm not scared of alone time. I love to be alone. But then when I ask them, what are you doing when you're alone? And they say, you know, I'm scrolling through social media. I'm listening to podcasts. And so they're not actually alone with their thoughts. And this one, you know, what I really meant by this one is just being alone with your thoughts. Whether you sit quietly for 10 minutes and you write in a journal or you decide you're going to meditate or you're going to just shut off your technology for a few minutes and just be. And for a lot of people, that's really scary. But there are tons of benefits of solitude, and it goes on and on from, you know, it really helps you to to focus on your goals. It helps you to really reflect on your life without ruminating. It helps you plan for the future. Uh, you know, the list of solitude benefits goes on and on from your physical health to your psychological well-being. And just sort of giving your brain an opportunity to, to work things out and enjoy a few minutes of peace and quiet. And so I always encourage people, set 10 minutes aside every day to just do nothing. Shut off all of the background noise and just sit there and see what happens. And a lot of people can't do it. They're like either so scared of, of their thoughts. They say, you know, my mind just starts racing or I can't shut it off. Or other people will say, I can't. I have to be productive. But if you can't set aside 10 minutes for yourself every day to do absolutely nothing, then you probably need it more than ever. And but there's so much pressure on us to always be producing, to always be doing things that it's really hard to sit and just be. But 
I think it can be one of the simplest but most effective ways to transform your life. And you mentioned there about uh, meditation, which is something we've talked about on this show to people extensively. Are there any specific uh, practices of meditation that that you use, or is that something you even use at all? I do. Like I like the app Headspace. I like any any apps. I think that any ways we can use technology to our advantage. And if you have a meditation app, it kind of forces you to to re- remind you every day or it forces you to look at your progress it can be really helpful so for me personally that works well and it just gives me that reminder of oh yeah do this today because my schedule varies every day so I can't always say I'm going to do this at noon or set aside a specific time but I want to make sure that I make time for it so for me that works I know a lot of other people uh, just like to uh, to learn a specific type of meditation and then they incorporate it into their daily lives or they just practice becoming more mindful throughout the day. All of those things are great, but I think no matter what it is that people do, it's important to figure out which one works for you and how do you best incorporate it into your life. Mm. One thing that I really found interested in in your book was there's, there's a lot of comparisons between mental strength and habits. Um, what do you think the, uh, the, the main types of things that people that would say be lacking mental strength, uh, like what type of like bad habits would typically they be doing? So a lot of times it's, uh, giving into, to their emotions. So if something feels scary, it becomes a habit to say, I'm not going to do it, or I'm going to say no to anything that I think would be too uncomfortable and they lack confidence in themselves Mm. and so then it just becomes a habit to always turn away anything that seems uncomfortable and they stay way too far inside their comfort zone another one is when people become people pleasers and they just say yes to everything or they start to lose sight of who they are because they always want to make sure that their opinions their ideas are going to agree with other people they try to make them happy and it just becomes so automatic that when somebody calls and says can you do this they say yes and and then they lose sight of their values it's hard to to focus on their goals i think another habit has to has to do with just you know how do you spend your time during the day it's become so easy to waste time and we don't even realize it whether you spend a lot of time on social media or you tend to waste a lot of time complaining to people we don't look at how do you spend your time and is it really productive? Is it helpful? Is it helping you build mental strength or is it dragging you down? Is it impacting your mood? And I'm not against social media. I use social media for my business every day, but I think it's important for people to take a look at how does how does social media affect them? Is it making their enhancing their life or making it worse? Mm. So in terms of the say that people pleasing type side, so so say say you've got someone that. For example, they find it very difficult to say no to like loved ones or partners or friends when they ask them for a favor. Like, what what would your advice be to that person that may or may not be called Joseph? <laughs> so, if it's become a habit to just always say yes, then I encourage people to just develop a different script. So, when somebody calls and says, "Can you do this favor for me?" instead of automatically saying yes, make it that you say. Um, thanks for asking me. I'll have to look at my schedule and let you know. Something along those lines to buy themselves 24 hours to think about it. And and then sometimes then they find the courage to say no or to at least see how people respond. I've worked with plenty of people pleasers who are scared to even say that because they think, well, 
this person will give me a guilt trip or this person will try to immediately try to talk me into saying yes and then I'll give in or I don't want to sound like I'm mean and and so it takes practice but I think just flipping the flipping the switch and coming up with a new script so that you don't automatically say yes and for a lot of people that just helps them buy enough time to to then think of a more logical response so that they aren't just saying yes out of guilt or out of fear yeah that's that's such a great tip and i'll definitely take down on board one which i found particularly effective is saying if someone asks me for it for something which i'm unsure i'll be able to fulfill i say I'll I'll say I'm not sure of my schedule, so it's a no now. But if I change my mind, can I let you know? And I find that that buys me time, and also, you know, it doesn't uh, the the other person doesn't end up too offended. And I also give myself the the opportunity that if I can fulfill it, then I can go back to them later. Are there any more other examples like that that you can think of which are particularly helpful? I, you know, I think that's a great way to do it, which is exactly what you said, is to, then you don't set the expectation up of, yes, I'm going to do it, but I just need another hour, and so you say no, and that, so I think that's wonderful. I think another thing for people pleasers sometimes is to, to just say, I'll need to think about that, so when somebody says, what's your opinion on something, most of the people pleasers I know struggle to say their opinion, and so if they can just say, you know, let me think about that for a minute, and then come up with their opinion... Uh, you know, right down to, I've worked with so many people who, when somebody says, where would you like to go to lunch today? Their automatic answer is, I don't care, or where do you want to go, or it doesn't matter to me. Mm. So it's really important for them to take a minute and just say, let me think about that for a minute, and then come up with a, a better response so that they can say, all right, it's okay for me to say this is what I prefer, or this is what I think about something. And so again, it just boils down to having a new, paying attention to your habits, what is it that you do, and how can you come up with a, a different automatic response that comes out of your mouth and then make that a habit to say something different so that you have more time to think there are bound to be many people listening right now who are reflecting on this podcast and thinking to themselves that they may be not mentally strong enough or they want mental strength is something that they want to develop and they're wondering what what are there any immediate steps they could take is there anything that the listener could do let's say tonight to start making those initial steps into becoming a mentally strong person? You know, I think one thing is to just challenge yourself to do something. When your brain says you can't do something, rather than believe it, just say challenge accepted and and try to do it anyway. And it's sort of like a behavioral experiment. Just try to, try to prove your brain wrong sometimes. So whether your brain says don't give that presentation because you're going to embarrass yourself or your brain says... You know, you can't possibly run one more step. Do it anyway. And that's one of the simplest ways to start training your brain to see you a little bit differently is to challenge those negative thoughts. So pay attention to when you're thinking negatively. Reframe it to something more realistic. So when you, if your brain says, you know, you'll never make the baseball team, you can remind yourself, you know, if I practice more, maybe I will. And that you could get better and that uh, a failure or a mistake or a problem isn't uh doesn't have to be permanent and then uh and then change your behavior say i'm gonna do it anyway even though i think i can't do something i'm gonna challenge myself to try and that's the best way to build confidence so often we wait until we feel confident to do something but the best way to build confidence and strength is to do it even when you think you can't and then you see that you're more capable and competent than you thought that you were there are so many practical examples and and helpful 
like studies and and tips which you talk about in in your book which which all three of your books will be linked in the show notes below and just moving on to your latest book which is 13 things mentally strong women don't do i thought to myself when i was looking at it i thought that you amy are obviously an extremely resilient person do you think that that resilience has helped you say break through that you know the quote unquote glass ceiling which many women feel like they experience well you know i when i was talking about sort of the next book i always go by what my readers questions that they ask me how i know what to do next and after the first book came out they started asking me about kids how do we raise mentally strong kids so i wrote the parenting book and then when that came out i got so many questions about how do you raise strong daughters or in today's world how do you be a mentally strong woman and so I wanted to write that book as a way to say, well, here's some examples of what mentally strong women look like, because I think we have so many examples of men that we think are sort of the epitome of mental toughness, whether it's an athlete or somebody in the military. And so I wanted to talk about that. And then I just really wanted to share what are some of the bad habits that, that women tend to engage in. And I certainly found myself engaging in lots of those bad habits myself, like downplaying my success or allowing other people to limit my potential. And so even though I feel like I've, I've done a lot of things and I, I've become quite successful, I feel like there's still a lot of things I have to work on. And if, if I can share, you know, here are some of the habits, here's why women tend to engage in these bad habits and here's what we can do about it, then I really hoped it would resonate with other women too. One thing I wanted to ask you about mental strength is responsibility. Uh, some people would argue that you know, they have no choice but to be uh, mentally strong due to that sense of responsibility or scenarios they may be in. And how big of a part do you think responsibility is um, in regards to mental strength? You know, I think, uh, yeah, I think responsibility is, is important. So, you know, that quote about sometimes you don't know how strong you are until that's the only choice you have uh, rings true. And, you know, whether... You, you, but I think again, then people get it a little bit mixed up. They tend to think, well, I'm the sole breadwinner in my family, so I have to be strong all the time. But being strong doesn't mean you you won't cry or that you won't feel sad or you won't be upset. But I think that when it, we have high expectations of ourselves, we tend to rise to the occasion. And when the, if we, in the absence of any expectations, we don't tend to stretch and grow. So I think putting yourself out there and, and making sure that you do have other people that you're responsible for or situations that, that rely on you, you'll do better and you'll definitely rise to the occasion so that you can meet those expectations. For sure. And also, I love the 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 like the title of of your book because i mean it's of course it's it's, uh, as a potential to be you know a series there's there obviously the 13 things which mentally strong people don't do 13 things that mentally strong parents don't do and now more recently 13 things that mentally strong women don't do you know so are there any plans for a for a for a fourth book you know, I've had lots of ideas, been running some things around and getting lots of input from readers about what they'd like to see next from what mentally strong men don't do, what mentally strong teachers don't do. But I haven't any kids. I get a lot about what mentally strong teens don't do. But uh, I don't know. I don't, I'm not working on the fourth book yet, but I'm definitely thinking about it. Maybe 
that mentally strong podcast hosts do. <laughs> you, could, you could use this as a case study if you decide to. <laughs> One thing we'd love to ask you, we've we've started uh, just asking uh, a few of our podcast guests these are just a series of questions. Um, one thing we'd love to know from you, Amy, are there any rules, societal rules, that you love to break? Um, yeah, that's a good question. Um, I guess, you know, as a, as a woman, when it came to sort of, like, gender norms and that sort of a thing, um, you know, I grew up in a country where girls uh, don't necessarily wear high heels and, and dresses. We drive... ATVs and get muddy and all of those sorts of things <laughs> and typical um, gender stereotypes like I can wear a dress and heel but for the most part I live on a sailboat and I walk up on her foot most of the time and um, when we need something a light bulb changed at the top of the 65 I'm the first person to volunteer to go up there I like to do um, get my hands dirty and do fun things like an outdoor adventure and um, drive trucks those sorts of things that I guess might be a little bit outside of what society thinks women should do (laughs) (laughs) well that's a fun that's a fantastic answer and actually um i'll admit that's the first time we've trialed that question so if that answers anything to go by i think we'll be sticking to that question from now on (laughs) um another question we ask uh all our guests as a lot of our guests are authors and you are a revered author yourself what we wanted to ask and what our listeners like to hear uh, are there any books that you've read in your life that have uh, impacted you in some way? Uh, you know, I definitely have lots of them. One that I've been thinking more about right now is uh, Choose Yourself by James Altucher. Great mm. book about, uh, again, not depending on other people to to reach your goals, but about choosing yourself so that you can say, I'm going to make these goals happen regardless of whether other people choose me. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And Amy, we thank you so much for your time today. And our last question is going to be, if you could distill all of the lessons which you've had in your life down into one short but impactful message, what would your message to the world be? Uh, To take a, when you're making decisions, to think about how you would look back on your life when you're 100 years old and how you'd want to have spent it and the people you'd want to spend it with and the choices that you make and just make sure that you're doing that now so that when you are 100 years old looking back on your life you can be proud of what you did and who you spent your time with that's amazing amy we thank you so much for your time thanks for having me on your show